0: Is your accounting firm ready to deliver a modern client experience while improving your staff's efficiency? ShareFile wants to help your business grow with user-friendly workflows and world-class security. You'll find new ways to exceed client expectations during tax, audit, and advisory engagements. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, ShareFile, later in the episode.
1: Create a career path for people or they will career path themselves. (laughs) And if they have to career path themselves, guess what? It probably doesn't involve you. If you'd like to earn CPE
0: credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com, download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm Blake Oliver, and I am joined today by two young CPAs, Hannah
1: Hood and Joey Kinney. Hannah and Joey, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks. Blake, so like, I'm going to take
1: that young comment and I'm just going to carry that with me because I haven't been called young in a minute. So, you know, well, my knees relative don't feel young.
0: young. <laughs> right? relative to the average age of CPAs these days, which is it's what? Uh, over 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. In small firms, I think I, I saw that small firm owners are like s- over 60 on average now. Interesting. So... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, by, they, okay. By that, by that metric. Yes. Still young. We will
2: accept the title of young.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Do you mind giving our listeners an idea of, you know, where you stand on the young spectrum? Sure. Sure.
1: I, uh, I am 36 years old. Yeah. So I'm firmly in that middle thirties. I like to say someone, I told somebody is like, I am in my early late thirties or my mm-hmm. late mid thirties, depending on like what metric you want to, to use here.
0: How about you, Hannah? I mean, yeah. I know I'm not, I don't know, like, uh, like, am I supposed I, to ask age anymore? Is that I, I is mean, I, okay. it depends okay? on
2: who asked me, when they asked me. Some days I'm 29, some days I'm 34. Fair. So, for us, I'll, I'll, I'll claim 34. That's where I'm Perfect. at. Perfect. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, you've got both, you, you both have me beat. I'm 40. So I am now, I think, squarely middle-aged. Um, you, you two are still young, in my opinion, anyway. Mm-hmm. My professional opinion.
2: Creeping up on it.
0: Yeah. Um. And I'm excited to talk to you because you have your own podcast. You have a show called the Young CPA Success Show. Did I mm-hmm. get that right? Mm-hmm. And proudly on airmark, um, by the way. Awesome, love that. Earn CPE for listening to the Young uh-huh. CPA Success Show, designed for young CPAs. Joe, you want to give me the, the the pitch? Why would why should somebody listen to that?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a so I can give you the short answer or the long answer, and I'm going to give you the long <laughs> answer because I never do anything short. So this all started. I would say what Hannah maybe six or seven months ago where we were having Mm -hmm. a conversation and we had just merged. I'm still very proudly wearing my summit CPA shirt merch from our our retreat last year, but summit and Anders merged together last April and they kind of rolled out this very robust plan for here's how we're going to grow this thing. And of course, because we don't do anything small, we're going to try to 10 X the company. Beautiful. How long are we doing that? We're going to do that in five years okay, we're going to need some more people. So we started looking around and there's all these statistics coming out about, Hey, there's a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand accounting jobs coming out this year. And only 50,000 people are graduating college in accounting degrees. And as Hannah loves to say that math ain't mathing. So Mm -mm. we started this conversation of, well, now that I'm firmly in what I would say is the middle of my career, what are some things that I wish that I had known at the beginning of my career? And then also, what sort of things are, are we doing to try to fix some of the things that we didn't love about working in the accounting industry in our 20s and early 30s? So it kind of morphed from there and, and turned into, um, you know, a, what we hope is an interesting resource for young CPAs to, like, have someone to talk to, like, An older brother or older sister that they can talk to to be like hey help guide me like I don't know what I'm supposed to do it's kind of the idea well
0: that's great I want to talk to you about the talent shortage and your thoughts Mm -hmm. on that how we fill that gap I know that both of you work remotely Mm -hmm. Hannah where are you in the world
2: I'm in Tupelo Mississippi
0: Tupelo, Mississippi. Where is that for people who don't know Mississippi all that well, like me? Yeah,
2: so we're north, Mississippi. I'm about an hour south of Memphis. So typically people can geographically orient themselves to Memphis in the world, and we're about an hour south of Memphis. Got
0: it. I have been to Memphis, love
1: Memphis. So now I know where you are.
0: Exactly. Awesome.
2: Yeah. How about
1: you, Joey? I am in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So it's kind of like right smack dab in the middle of what is sneakily the fifth largest state in America, land wise. So, uh, you don't look at the map and be like, that's the fifth largest state in the country. Sure is. I need to make it over there. You know, I'm your neighbor in Arizona, mm-hmm. but I still mm-hmm. haven't taken a road trip to New Mexico yet. Hopefully this winter. Look, when you're there, I mean, I think supposedly we're supposed to have good snow this year. So if you're into yeah. outdoor things, typically El Niño New Year's of really good snow for us. So we're we're gearing up for a big season.
0: A lot of people outside the Southwest don't know that New Mexico has ski. ski. Mm-hmm.
1: Taos, right? Is that how you say it? Yep. Yep. There's, there's Taos. We were actually up there, I think two weekends ago, just kind of exploring and hanging out. So there's Taos, there's Angel Fire is a, Angel Fire is a nice family resort that uh, I've been going to since I was a a little, little kid. And then there's all the Southern Rockies things that are within like three or four hours of Albuquerque. So like Wolf Creek, which gets like 400 inches of snow a year, all natural, Uh, Purgatory and Durango, a couple other places. So it's a really nice launching pad if you like outdoor stuff.
0: Oh, I do. I love skiing, so I'm hoping to get out there this year. I mean, Taos, Taos can hang with Colorado. The rest of our stuff can't, but Taos can. Okay, good to know. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, both of you are virtual CFOs at Summit CPA, and I had the privilege of speaking on this show with your boss, Joey Grundon, uh, Jody. <laughs> Joey. That so happens, many days. That happens all the time, jo- <laughs> by the way. Yes. <laughs> Jody Grunden. Oh, man, I'm so embarrassed. I hope he's not listening. Uh I had the privilege of talking to him about, you know, growing Summit CPA, creating this virtual CFO model, meeting with clients weekly, mm-hmm. really um, about billing clients weekly, getting paid up front, performance-based compensation. And now I get to talk to you and find out if if what he told me is actually true or not. So, <laughs> Hannah, <laughs> what is it like being a virtual CFO? Uh, what, is, what is that job? I feel like most CPAs do not have this job. It is a rare thing. Um, You know, how's it going?
2: Yeah, I would say that if you'd have told me that this is what I'd be doing at age 34, whenever I started my career at 18 with my first internship, I would have laughed in your face. Like I did not even think that this was a possibility to be doing what I get to do. But I get to meet with clients on a daily basis. I have about um, 15 in total that I work with and I get to meet with them not only as their accountant, but as their business partner. That's what I tell all my clients is like, I want to go into this business with you. I want to be a part of the conversations. I want to hear what decisions you're making in your business. And I want to tell you the story that the financial statements tell you. I don't just want to spit back information to you. I want to make it make sense for you. Because as we all know, financial statements do tell a story of the overall health of the business and help guide the journey of where our clients need to go. So I get to put on a pilot's cap and, and help pilot them to wherever it is that their destination that they wants to be and be a part of that journey with them, which is so neat and so fun and so fulfilling for me.
0: Jody told me that the VCFOs at Summit sit in on weekly leadership meetings with clients. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you get to do?
2: Yes, it is. So not only do we get to hear about and have those financial statement conversations, we're hearing a lot of different facets of the business in terms of what's going on from them, from a hiring perspective, from sales and marketing, from biz dev, from pipeline, like all of that were a part of those conversations. That way we can take little pieces of that and apply it to the financial roadmap that we're developing for our clients.
0: So you're in the meeting with the CEO, with the Mm -hmm. COO, with the the VPs, right? Whoever's I mean, it's a small business, right? So titles are really not that important, but it's the leadership team, right?
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And and what kind of clients do you work with?
2: I have, I would say a wide range of clients in terms Mm -hmm. of the industries that they work with, that I work with. I have digital agencies, I have manufacturing clients, I have a... um, I have a dermatologist as a client. I have a men's inpatient rehab facility that is a client. So I also love that about this job too is because I truly get to touch and learn so much about other industries that otherwise I wouldn't have ever had the opportunity to. This is actually the first um, firm that I've ever worked for. I worked in industry prior to to come into, um, to summit. So this has been exciting for me in that way, because I get to touch and learn so much about all these industries that I wouldn't have gotten to otherwise. So Joey, what's your,
0: do you have the same, are you in the, you have the same job, do you have the same kind of clients or yours different?
1: well that's a that's an interesting question. My job at Summit is a little bit different, and my my path there was a bit different to Hannah so when I joined and literally it was it was hilarious. I joined like three weeks before the merger was announced and so like of course, whenever you're joining a firm like that's a big decision. So I yeah. had conversations with other members of our leadership team and like I was there for a couple of weeks and Jody's partner, Adam, came in and said, Hey, yeah, so by the way, we're, we're merging with a a much larger firm. And I'm like, dude, you couldn't have mentioned anything in like the last three weeks that this was happening. But when I came on board, I was like almost done with accounting. Like I was like ready to be done. And I told the the team, the leadership team, like, I'm going to give this one more go. This is either going to work and it's going to be fantastic, or I'm going to go find something else to do with my life. And so what were you doing before? I was I was an industry controller, so I ran, you know, a 15 to 20 million dollar a year commercial real estate company here in Albuquerque is there. You know, it was it was kind of like a blend of CFO and financial controller. Like it, it really translated well to the type of work that we do at Summit because we with our roles as CFOs, you kind of have to be able to dig into the underlying data and figure out transaction what's happening, but then zoom back out and say, hey, what does this mean? What's the story? What is this trying to tell us and where do we go from here? So, you know, it was, you know, it was a lot of burnout. It was a lot of, you know, dissatisfaction with the industry. My wife's also an accountant. So you can imagine for vast periods of the year, we're both just like, ugh, this is miserable. So was it because the the workload, having that that in that
0: job was too much or was it too repetitive? Like, what what, what about it, it?
1: What it was is it just didn't, it was a great job for what I needed it to be, which was that stepping stone into more of the advisory work, but I didn't get a lot of satisfaction from it. It's, it was a lot of solving the same problems month after month. It was a lot of, you know, feeling like I could be doing something more or something different. I kind of missed the consulting, to be honest. You know, I had had a previous job in some consulting where I had worked with clients and I missed that, you know, opportunity to go out there and help somebody solve you know a problem or or build towards a goal that they're trying to build for i had i was missing that in industry and so mm-hmm. i had this chance to come back to someone i had a friend of a friend who who had worked there and was doing this type of stuff and so i they had been on my radar for a couple of years and i finally was like you know what, i think i'm ready to kind of pull the trigger on this and and move forward but like i said i, I kind of told them up front hey y'all i'm i'm done if this doesn't work out so i started off like a little bit less than full time and About three months in, they said, hey, would you be interested in doing this other role where you're going to kind of have a smaller CFO book? So Hannah mentioned she works with about, what, 15 clients, Hannah? Mm -hmm. I work with only about five or six. But in the amount other times that I'm doing, I'm working with all of our other CFOs to, you know, kind of A, train new CFOs in, in how we do things, systems, processes, how to be a consultant, but then also work with new clients to make sure that they're fitting into our system so it's a bit of a hybrid role hmm. J- Jody
0: told me that for most of the clients you're doing a financial forecast mm-hmm. was that something that was tricky to learn because I don't remember learning how to do forecasting when I took my accounting classes
1: yeah they don't they don't teach you that at all um, <laughs> and it's it's we've talked about this offline and it's been a through line through all of our conversations with everybody which is, you get tax or you get audit and it's a very small buffet of what they'll let you take But there's a, there's a whole wide ranging industry of, of things that you can do. And, you know, I think the hardest thing for, for me with learning how to forecast was like really getting down and understanding the connections between things. And that I think is, is, that's the hardest leap for somebody to, to make as they're coming into the organization, which is, you know, I know how accounting works. I know how, to, I know how to do payables. I know how to do receivables. Maybe what I don't understand is, well, if we don't collect this receivable or we defer some of this revenue down into the future months, what's the impact on everything else? Once you get over that, then it's all delivery. Hannah, what do you think?
2: Yeah. And I had done budgeting before in prior roles. I had done that. What we do is much more dynamic in terms of we do not just set a budget and forget about it. We're looking at the forecast on a monthly basis, making those updates every single month, having lots of conversations around the forecast. Um, and I welcomed that challenge. To me, that was exciting for me to learn how everything was connected, how if we were going to do this based on a percentage of revenue, am I seeing trends in that? Um, Forecasting out our payroll and our people and being able to play out different scenarios with my clients of like, hey, if we hire these five positions, this is what it does to our bottom line, but here's also what it does to our cash and where that takes us. And so being able to play out all these different scenarios has been It's fun. I guess I geek out on on that sort of thing, and it it is exciting for me and something that I get to do because I'm I'm doing this also for a lot of different industries that also presents its own level of challenge in terms of because industry metrics from industry to industry are just different. So, being able to learn that, I, I welcome that challenge, and to me that just is what keeps my job exciting and not. Monotonous, and I feel like prior to this role, I would, I do not thrive well in a monotonous environment. I learned mm-hmm. this about myself. I like to continually be challenged and grow, and this has allowed me to be able to do that.
0: I wonder if, I mean, this is a big reason why accountants are leaving the profession. We've seen the Wall Street Journal report that something like fifteen, sixteen, seventeen percent of accountants quit in the last few years. Is it because they're bored mm-hmm. you know, and is this a i I hope if somebody's listening and they're really bored with accounting or the work they're doing like getting into this type of forward looking advisory type of uh
1: of job seems like the perfect fit
2: mm-hmm. yeah, and I totally agree
1: we've we've built out some roles within the company too for folks who kind of want that we call it like c f o light is is the best way I can describe it where You know, and and when I think about where I hope the company goes, I hope we get to a point where we're able to hire at that CFO light role and get people and help them make that transition. Because some of it's a mentality shift, too. A lot of times when you're thinking about processes and someone comes to you with a change, right? Like, Blake, if you're saying to us, hey, so I want to do a new line of business, right? I want to, instead of doing podcasts, like I want Earmark to do like instructional videos, right? Or something like that. Yep. Most accountants are going to sit there and think about, oh man, like I've got to change my processes. Like I've got to add another class to QuickBooks. I've got to be able to do job profit for this. I've got to be able to do that. And it's very systematic and in backwards looking, which is hugely important. Like I don't want to minimize the importance of that because without that, we can't inform the forecast. But it's difficult to get into that mentality mindset of thinking like, okay, Blake wants to do a new thing. What's that going to do to his enterprise value? How are we going to market it? How are we going to promote it? How are we going to measure it? Um, what sort of things is this, what's this? What is this going to do to his receivables? Like, how's it going to change his business for the next 12 to 18 months? Do we need to hire people? That type of thinking is not something that they're teaching us in school. Mm-mm. And what we hope to have is a very robust system of mentors and people who are going to help that role understand how to do that type of thinking. And then when they're ready boom, you got your next batch of CFOs ready to go. This episode of the Earmark
0: podcast is sponsored by Sharefile. Sharefile is a secure, easy-to-use technology that helps you deliver a modern client experience and streamlines your document-heavy workflows. Sharefile makes it simple and secure to work with clients and enhances your internal processes to improve overall satisfaction and experience. With Sharefile, you can provide easy-to-use client portals, accelerate PBC list process, simplify client communication, deliver e-signatures, and so much more. Whether you're working in the office or remotely, Sharefile lets you seamlessly collaborate with clients and streamline repetitive tasks, all securely and in one tool. Sharefile also integrates with your existing processes and is optimized for tax, audit, and advisory engagements in mind. It helps firms like yours keep your teams close and your clients even closer. Sharefile helps you enhance client onboarding, Organize and simplify document collection and orchestrate secure document exchange. It gives you complete visibility into document workflows that speed up client services and ultimately helps your firm work more efficiently with less resources. If you're ready to elevate your client's expectations and your firm's efficiency to the next level with ShareFile, head over to earmarkcpe.promo ShareFile. That is earmarkcpe.promo forward slash S H A R E F I L E. Joey, you said something else that stood out to me as different about Summit, Mm -hmm. which is that when you started, you were able to take on like half the clients that Hannah has. Mm -hmm. So most accounting firms, you know, it's all or nothing. And the all is 50, 60 hours a week when you're called upon for busy season, which seems to get longer and longer every year. Mm -hmm. So like, how does that work? How were you allowed to just
1: take five or six clients to start? well i I when as part of of joining the firm I said guys i'm I'm interested and I want to do this but i'm I'm so burnt out I don't know if I can commit to forty hours a week. can we come up with something and have it at thirty two or 36 hours a week and you know obviously it was like take whatever pay you need to do and, and reduce it by the by the workload so I took a reduced salary to do it but that was you know for me at that time in my life that was more important um what ended up happening is I never, I, you know, and this is just, you know, me, I can't not work 40 hours. So that was something that when, when we kind of looked at things and we're like, look, this is, I kind of said, look, I, I didn't know that I was going to get re energized in the way that I did, but I'm, I'm all in and that kind of changed things from that perspective. But one thing about Summit and, and now our Anders teammates as well is, you know, for, for management, they tend to view, they view us as people which is really nice i've never felt like what my mom used to say in, in her public accounting days the revenue generating unit i've never felt like that and what i will owe adam hale and jamie na and jody grundon and josh jeans and all of the the wonderful people at our team that we work with they really kind of took a chance on me on they could have very easily have said now nah, we really want someone who's going to be there and they said no we'd rather have 75 or 80% of you than none of you. And I had never had anybody commit to me like that before in the workplace. And that Mm. has engendered like an incredible amount of loyalty for me, where I I don't think that there's anything that those guys can do that would make me absolutely lose respect for them as people, because they really took care of us from that perspective.
0: Well, they must have sensed that, I mean, you were frank with them, that you were burning out. Mm -hmm. And so they wanted to come up with a plan that would let you get in to summit and, and not feel overwhelmed yeah. and it worked out follow-up. So when you decided you wanted to work more, you made more. Mm-hmm. How did, how does that work? Is there a formula that determines your compensation based on how much, how many clients you have or like, how does that scale?
1: Yeah. It's, it's kind of all the above. Um, there is, you know, there's, there's right now we have, I guess like it's an incentive-based compensation program that works a little bit like a bonus. But the idea behind it is, and it goes back to value-added billing, right? Firms love value-added billing. And it makes sense, right? We've made investments in technology that allow us to do something that previously took 20 hours, we can do in 10. But if we just stick to the old time and hours approach, there's only two ways to get the same amount for the same tax return either. Jack that bill rate up or you do a value-added billing type situation. And the problem that Summit realized a number of years ago is that, well, if we're doing value-added billing, we probably need to be doing value-added compensation. Otherwise, the really smart CFOs that we've hired to do this are going to figure this out. Because yeah. that's, <laughs> they that's see the jobs. financials, <laughs> they, <laughs> see, they see the financials. They see what the clients are paying Summit. Right. So yeah. they created a system where there's a book of business that you're kind of expected to keep up with as part of your just kind of standard base salary.
2: And I will add that that book of business does not look like 50 to 60 hours a week in mm-hmm. terms of like the standard, like that 100%. is not at all the expectation coming in.
0: So normal, reasonable
1: work week. Very. Yep. Very, very reasonable. Week. Yeah. And, and the idea behind it is, okay, you do this and that kind of gets your baseline. And then we've created an incentive for if you want to either do more or better if you can figure out a way to leverage some of your resources, you know, below you in the hierarchy, whether that's using staff accountants or whether that's using some of our outsourced resources at Cadenzia or Integrity that we work with on certain clients, there's an incentive for you to go higher. And then every month we validate the total value of your book and that pops into a formula where they determine, hey, here's kind of how much your 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 variable compensation is going to be. And that they, they cut us a check every month for it. Shows up on the last paycheck and it's a nice little boost right away. So I love that because some people
0: want to work more and make Mm -hmm. more money and Mm -hmm. they can. And the others who want to work, you know, a regular 40 hour work week or whatever it is can do that. Yeah. And it's not based on those
1: billable hours anymore. There's, there's something that Hannah and I have harped on for forever, which has been that there's, there's a place for everybody in every organization, like some people, and I've heard firms. Well, not firms, in most public accounting firms. I feel what like I say, I've heard route, people right? make the mistake of saying, like, oh, you don't want to be a partner. Like, there's no place for you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. No, let's, let's, let's push back on that. Like, if someone says, man, I just, I really love being a senior accountant. Like, I don't, I don't want all this responsibility. Like, I just want to be really, really good at my job and I'm like right in my sweet spot, I feel like I can do it, I don't stress about it at night, I'm comfortable from a compensation perspective, like I'm right where I wanna be, like that's the most valuable person in your organization.
0: We had one of those people when I was a manager, she was like a career senior, but her comp was forever capped. Mm -hmm. Even though she was incredibly valuable to the organization, the partners would not pay her more than a manager, even though she arguably deserved more than me. Yeah. had more experience than me, served more clients than
1: me. It was all hierarchical, mm-hmm. and I think that's just a huge mistake. Like your your you know your people are gonna know, yeah. And you know, you, well, I, she knew, I, and she was not happy about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and your other team members are gonna know too, because they're like, wait a minute, like I'm not sure her name, but well, you know, whoever whoever this individual was, they all know the second she leaves. Oh, this is a problem. Like we can't yeah. replace that.
0: Well, and so the way we dealt with it in the team was like she just we just did not mess with her, right? Mm -hmm. She could do whatever she wanted. We couldn't we couldn't deal with the comp, right? Right. We could at least give her the freedom and flexibility to handle things however she liked. So we it was just sort of a white glove treatment, but it wasn't ideal. She should have been making more money, you know.
2: Mm. And it was kind of
0: abusive in a way. Like I, thinking back on it, it's like. I think the reason she didn't move up is because her English wasn't as good, you know, and female, mm. like you're at a disadvantage in a traditional firm. And,
1: you know, it was, it was like a, kind of a messed up situation. I was, I was having a conversation with my mom um, last week, actually, it was on, it was on Friday. And my mom was a public accountant. She was started at the, the predecessor to KPMG, Pete Marwick, back in the early 80s in, in Midland during the oil boom. And she was telling me when she had moved away from midland back to albuquerque and was kind of thinking about you know what she was going to do with the the regional firm that she was at Um, it was around when i was being born so she was like yeah i had two tracks i could choose the partner track and these are the real words the partner track or the mommy track and that's Mm -hmm. what they called it and she was like well i'd like to have kids so i guess i have to go to the mommy track and her, com- her, her point on Friday was, was, she was like, they put me on the mommy track and I was forever capped. But we all have the numbers. She's like, I had more billables and better utilization than every other person above me in that organization. And it was never, ever dealt with. Mm-hmm. And she ended up leaving the industry not too long after realizing that and doing something completely different with her life. And it's that type of thinking is, it's a, it's a shame. It's one of the reasons Hannah and I, you know, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll die on this hill. It was incredibly important for me to have Hannah's voice on the podcast because I think women in particular really have gotten the the short end of the stick when it comes to structurally how accounting firms are handled, how these things are, are done. And then the, you know, societal expectations on what hannah's role is going to be and it doesn't need to be that way it's that way because we allow it to be and we really want to fight back against that
2: Mm -hmm. that's definitely one of my goals in terms of with this podcast too is to Mm -hmm. change all not just the way people are thinking about accounting especially young accountants are thinking about accounting but also be a voice for for women in this industry too in terms in terms of making sure that our value is seen as as equal and Mm -hmm. in in leadership roles and considered for such no matter if we do want to have kids i have three kids and the beauty in the in the compensation structure that we currently have with summit is that if i went to them and said hey like my kids are just really busy with sports right now. I need to cut back. I need to make sure that my hours stay within this threshold. They say, okay, let's figure out a way to to shift your clients around so that way you can maintain this. As long as you're maintaining your minimum book of business, then sure, what, whatever works for you, that's perfectly fine if you need to take that step back. And so I love that model, and I love that I feel still. Still can be a rock star in my career, but also still be very present for my kids as, as a mom. And especially in this remote work environment for me, whenever I sought out Summit, I was seeking out something remote. That was like the one non-negotiable for me as a mom. I was like, this has just gotten too difficult. It was post-COVID. I was like, if COVID taught me anything, it was that businesses can absolutely function remotely. And still, and still thrive and succeed very, yeah. very well. Therefore, I know that this exists. And I, for a while, there was a moment where I thought, well, maybe I'm looking for a needle in a haystack and, and this won't happen for me. But I did not give up because I knew that it could exist, a life could exist where I could provide for my family, but also be present for my kids.
0: Yeah. I experienced it um, in the sense that, you know, when I was working at the traditional big firm, and I went into the office in Los Angeles. I had an hour commute both ways, mm-hmm. and so two hours in the car every day. Long hours during the week. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't like a Big Four kind of situation where I was, you know, on the, working on the weekends too. But I really wasn't present with my family, and I had a young son at the time. And yeah. so, um, you know, I would I would leave before he was up, and I would be home after he was asleep, and. It doesn't have to be that way. Like we Mm -hmm. don't have to make moms or dads choose between work and family now with the whole remote work possibility. Um, And we should highlight that. The fact that, you know, Summit is a totally remote firm, right? You all work from home or do you have like offices you go to? How does it, how does it work?
2: No, we are fully remote. We Now that we've merged with Anders um, out of St. Louis, they are a regional firm out of St. Louis, so they do have office spaces there. So I guess if we ever just wanted to take a road trip to St. Louis to work in the office for a few days, they would let us come work out of their office space. I'm actually
1: doing that next week, Yeah, I've got, okay. I've I got, got an office space booked at the mothership for like Monday or Tuesday of next week just because it worked That's better great. for my schedule to, for a retreat, but it's there if we want it. St. Yes. Louis is is a nice city. I I got to
0: visit um uh, for Scaling New Heights this year, first time, for a conference, and
1: I I liked it. It was a great
0: city.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: easy to get to, right from anywhere. That's mm-hmm. the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. There is there is one thing that you know when I was first getting started, where I wasn't sure. You know, again with with our home situation, like where we were going to fit the office and stuff like that. Like, well, do we want to move, allocate the bedroom, and those types of things. So when we were initially going through it, I did look at getting like a flex space or something like that to, to go to that's not far from my home. And one of the things that summit really does that I'm super proud of, of, of what they do. And, and I think the Anders team has like fully embraced this as well as part of the merger is they give us, was it 150 bucks a month for education and 200 bucks a month for technology, just Mm -hmm. right to our little divvy card and you can spend it pretty much however you want. So if you want to allocate 200 bucks towards a flex working space, they will, that is 100% covered by the company. It's a, you know, kind of a reimbursement type thing. Doesn't run you through just any taxes. Just, yep.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's great. And it's, you know, it provides, again, it's all about, it's all about flexibility. And I think that's the key is, you know, when, when Jody, I've, I've heard Jody give his origin story, but he talks about how when he was leaving public accounting and started Summit with Adam, the, one of the big driving factors was he wanted to be able to coach his daughter's hockey team. And he was like, I didn't see how I was ever going to be able to do this without, you know, doing something completely different and revolutionizing it. And that has not left, even though we've merged with a company that was, what, maybe eight times our size when we we did it. We went from 50 to to 450 um, pretty much overnight. That has not changed. And I'm really proud of that. What do you think holds back most?
0: firms from making this kind of shift where you've got this value-based compensation, you've got flexible schedules, you've got remote work. Like, Why can't public accounting figure this stuff out? Because your firm has been doing it for a decade now or longer, mm-hmm. and it's clearly working, clearly mm-hmm. growing, clear, clearly successful. Why can't other firms follow this model? It's not like they haven't heard about it.
2: So I have a theory about about this. Well, it, which I think might be fact, but um, I think it is a level of control that they'd have to relinquish and trust that they'd have to have in their employees in terms of getting things done. I was, I told this story on our podcast the other day, but I was on a boat in Grand Cayman and I was talking next, talking to this guy who worked as a supervisor in New York for a company. And I was telling him I work fully remote. And he was like, Oh, I could never do that. I could never do that. I need to be able to see what my employees are doing. If I'm not there to see it, then I can't, how am I supposed to know that it's, that it's getting done? And I could not convince him otherwise in terms of, of how Mm -hmm. to view remote work. And I'm, Think I truly think that that is that level of control that I'm talking about whenever it comes to firm ownership in terms of in their mind if people are there in the office working through whatever it is that they're working that's the level of control and visibility that they have on that. Obviously, Jody doesn't know what my working hours are, what I'm doing every single day from my house, but what he does know is that the job's getting done, that I'm showing up for meetings with my clients, and that's how we're measuring this level of of freedom that I have mm-hmm. and flexibility that I have in this role. And I think that change, change is hard, change is scary. Like people, you know, when you look at something like that in the face, that's just like, yeah, I, I don't I don't want to deal with it. So I'm just not gonna.
0: How about you, Joey? Why do firms have a hard time turning into Summit?
1: I think there's, I think there's three things. What Hannah said is 100% true. That's number one, which is, and it, it can also be expanded to, we, we don't know how to manage people. We've identified this in a couple of different groups that we've talked to where more often than not, when you get promoted as an accountant, they promote you because you're good at your job. So if you're moving from a tax senior to a tax manager, it's because you have developed the skills to understand what's going on on the tax return. And then they move you into that role and you're like, oh, by the way, you have to now manage people. And managing people is a lot different than managing a podcast. And a lot of firms don't know how to invest in training. And so those managers are not good managers because not because they don't have good intentions or because they don't want to be good managers. They just don't know how and they don't have the resources to learn how to do what Hannah mentioned, which is we're going to measure your output. We're not going to measure the inputs because it's really the outputs that matter more so than the inputs. So that's number one. Number two I think there, and this is, I could be a little bit biased towards this opinion because I worked in commercial real estate for a while as, as part of my, my past life, but there's a lot of money that firms invest into commercial real estate. And, Mm. you know, there was a lot of money that was invested into commercial real estate before COVID came in and changed the way we're viewing things. And, and so I think that firms rightly or wrongly, um, are looking at that as a bit of an anchor towards well, we've got this great office space that we've built out for everybody, and now we have all these people wanting to go remote, and we can't get out of our leases, or maybe the owners are tied into the reit, and, and they so own they, the building, right? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of a lot of firms buy the building, hundred percent. So there's there's value in that that in their minds trumps the value of your people working remotely. Um, the third thing is I think employees don't really know how to present the value to their firms when talking about remote work. Um, and it could just be that we're not, you know, people like Hannah and I haven't been able to go back to colleges and tell, tell students, Hey, uh, you like in Manhattan, Kansas, where I went to college, there are two accounting firms, both wonderful firms, by the way, I worked for one of them. I work with another one in another thing. They're both wonderful accounting firms but there's four or 500 accounting students that graduate from K-State every year. There's not enough jobs in Manhattan for all of them. But if I told one of those students, Hey, you love living in this great little college town, Oxford, Mississippi is no different. It's a Mm -hmm. wonderful college town. Here's how you can stay here and make a really nice living doing this. And you can do it from the comfort of your home. They just don't know it exists in the same way because either we're not marketing it right or something is going on where students just don't know that this is an opportunity for them. It just seems kind of crazy to me that firms aren't
0: embracing remote work more given that accountant starting salaries are pretty low. Mm-hmm. I think AICPA did a town hall recently and shared the results of a benchmarking survey mm-hmm. for 2023. And I saw on a slide that starting salaries are like fifty-five dollars to $60,000 a year, which is actually you know, compared to the national average, not terrible, but in a high cost of living area, it is not Mm -hmm. livable. But if you're in a smaller town, it's totally doable. You could own a house, right? You could uh, support a family. Mm -hmm. Um, But right, like, so so if if firms don't want to raise starting salaries, just let people live where they can afford to live. Seems kind of
1: like an obvious solution. So that's, a, that's an interesting, A, I love the idea. It's also an interesting thing because I look at this very frequently. The number that you quoted there is interesting to me because when I occasionally go back and do inflation calculators and try to put my starting salary back into reference of that, when I started, my starting salary was the equivalent of $68,500 in today's terms. In today's dollars. And that was and, not and, now, in, and that yeah. was not in New York City, that was not in Kansas City, that was not in l a that was in Manhattan, Kansas, very firmly in the heart of middle America for all of you counting crows fans <laughs> um, that's something that is is a thing, and i don't I don't know how we are we're obviously not partners in the firm, we're employees so again, we're going to lean, I mean, I'm certainly always going to lean a little bit more towards the employee than the employer. That's just part of the game for me. But that is something where it's like, I can't, I can't reconcile that number where it's like, in real terms, they're not making more than I made when I started. They're about $10,000 less. Well,
0: and uh, right. And starting salaries have Basically stagnated when you adjust mm-hmm. for inflation over 20 years, it really mm-hmm. hasn't changed. It hasn't gone yeah. up; it's even gone down a little bit. I think one down one percent now with the recent inflation, mm-hmm. uh, according to a Wall Street Journal analysis. How do we get starting salaries up in this profession? Like, do you think they should go up? I guess is the first question, and then you know, what should we do about it?
2: Well, I think they absolutely should go up. Mm-hmm. I think that they're there's going to come a time whenever they have to. Like We're in a supply and demand situation here in terms of the supply is going down, demand is going up. I would think that that math masks out to the fact that we should be raising the starting salaries for people, making this more enticing for people to want to even come into this industry. I mean, I think that Opens up a whole other topic that we could talk about in terms of the education requirement and, and different factors that play into people deciding to go into this industry in general. But starting salary would be a really good point, well, good place to start.
0: I talk a lot about the 150-hour rule, the extra yeah. 30 semester hours you have to take to get your CPA exam uh, or to get your CPA license. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, actually, um, Hannah, did, how did you get your... 30 extra semester hours.
2: So I got my 30 extra semester hours because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life for for a brief moment in time. Uh, and I will say just big preface is I'm in the process of getting my CPA license now at 34 years old. I actually left the industry. I worked my way um, all the way up through. I got married when I was 20 and we had kids very when I was very early in my 20s. And I worked my way up through to the role of controller and without a degree at that point and still working on my degree, but realized that was truly ever all it was ever going to be unless I finished this out and got my CPA license and and finished my degree. And I was like, you know, at this point in my life and my kids are all very small, not all of them were in school at the time. This doesn't work for me. And I left the industry completely. I went and did something totally different. I was a licensed insurance agent I worked my way up to junior partner really quickly in the agency and took on the budget forecasting role and then realized that this that was what my passion really was and then ended up coming back to the industry so for the reason of the fact that I that I took my time I got the hours that way um to get to that point so it was it was a bit of a journey for me mm-hmm. wow
0: so so you were yeah. working you worked your way up to controller without the college degree
2: mm-hmm Yes,
0: that's I amazing. Did. And so now you, are so you then you went back to school.
2: Mm-hmm. Was
0: that while you were doing the insurance thing?
2: Yep, it sure was.
0: So completely mm-hmm. can, you can you see why we we made her a CFO because she's really really yeah. good. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know that your work your work must have st- stood for itself, right? If you can do that, it um, did,
2: and it, it's honestly yeah. something that I am that I am proud of. But it is something now is huh. trying to get my. Get my CPA license. It is a challenge. It's a challenge now, especially um, with well, kids so you have being the, in this season.
0: You have the credits, mm-hmm. so now you just have to do the exams, mm-hmm. which is not yes. not just do the exams. I mean, that's a big thing. But <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, I was gonna say let's capitalize the word just because, mm-hmm. like yeah. that, mm-hmm. that's that's a big big feat to overcome. But wow. yes, that's that's where I'm at, Where I am in the process. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, cool. How about you, Joey? How did you get your 150? Uh, so to so to quote the the lovely Van Wilder. Uh, a lot of people stay in college for seven years, and they're called doctors. And then there's also guys like me who hit the reset button <laughs> after year two. And, um, you know, when 2008 happened and the the financial crisis and all of that stuff went on, I was firmly in the middle of college. And at that point, I was a history major. I was majoring in U.S. history at UNM, and I had a was, had a plan to get my MBA in year five. But... 2008 happened, and I was like, well, I got I to gotta do something. So I took an accounting class at K-State when I transferred in there, and it just sort of clicked. And then I was like, well, I guess I'm going to do this. But by the time I got done with college, I had way more than 150. So I was, I was okay. So you were set. Yeah. No, now, so no
0: it, masters of accountancies. No.
1: And, and I think that's, you know, that's, that's part of the point. Which is, I, I saw on your podcast that you're, you're the, the lady that you were talking to was talking about how you need to, instead of having an extra 150, get two years of work experience. Yes. Like mm-hmm. I had I 150 that. hours and I, I passed the CPA exam. Um, I'll brag on myself a little bit. I think my average score was a 93 and I passed on the first time every go around. So I wasn't missing anything by not getting the masters of accountancy that did those extra hours did not add any value or would not have added any value to my ability to be prepared to take the exam it's literally for me anyways would have been extra school just to do extra school and when you factor in the cost of going to college and how that has just absolutely exploded over the last 20 to 25 years to go back to our, our point about opening and starting salaries like how are we supposed to convince someone to go to school for an extra semester on top of an already, you know, could be potentially very robust set of student loans and your repayment for that is going to be a starting salary. That's significantly less than what you could get doing other things. You're going to end up with the same problem that I feel like teachers have had forever, which is, well, you're going to get stuck with the people who either really, really love it and are super passionate about it. And then are going to get burnt out quickly. Or you're left with folks who are like, well, I just didn't know what else to do with their time. Instead of doing what we should be doing, which is really incentivizing people to go into these careers, career pathing for them, showing them how it's going to lead to a wonderful quality of life for them. And saying, I know you've got to invest in this thing, but here's how you're going to get paid back. We've lost the paid back portion of this. And there was a wonderful article that was written a couple of weeks. I think it was maybe last weekend that um, was shared amongst our, our group on Friday when I was was looking through it, where the Wall Street Journal was talking to people who were making that very decision. And they said, I didn't want to go do it for a fifth year. So I went into tech, or I went into IT, or I went into all these other things. And I'm like, I want those people to be accountants. Come work with me. But we haven't created a, we haven't created an environment that's conducive to that. Mm -hmm. Side note, the interview you mentioned,
0: the interview Joey mentioned is the uh, one with Sharon Mm Lassar, the uh, director of the School of Accountancy at the University of Denver. You can catch that interview on the Accounting Podcast feed. If you search for um, uh, the Accounting Podcast in your podcast player, you'll find that. Search for Sharon Lassar, L-A-S-S-A-R. She's got some very strong opinions about 150 and... I find it very convincing coming from a director of a school of accountancy. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't think it adds any value at all, which most educators I talk to, uh, very much pro-150, I, th- I wonder if it's because, you know, they have these master's of accountancy programs
1: they need to fill and the requirement helps to do that.
0: Maybe um, not and the quite... cynic
1: in me wants to say, you know, if you look at, ver- you look at various uh, various professors and certain endowments that come through to, to pay for that professor's salary, it's a lot of... A lot of firms that people would know very quickly. So you always, I always wonder about the motivation where it's like, well, of course the EY endowed chair wants people to go to pick four. Yeah.
0: Well, and that's the thing that, um, that's the thing that is sort of falling apart now, at mm-hmm. least from where I sit. I'm curious to get your take on this. Um, the deal in accounting, it seems, has always been, okay, starting pay has always been lower than other business majors. Mm-hmm. like marketing, like finance, like blah, 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 whatever, right? It's always been a little lower. But the promise has been job security. And right. that was very compelling to me when I graduated into the financial crisis and I had to you know, make a decision about what to do, changing careers. Mm-hmm. Being a musician during the Great Recession was not a great thing. <laughs> so I chose accounting for the security of it, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing I'd always be able to make money. Um surprisingly i also chose it for the flexibility which i think is funny that like the big complaint about accounting is that like a lot of firms don't offer flexibility i think people just don't know about the small firms like summit that are out there that do offer it Mm -hmm. i was aware because i was working with small businesses and small firms but that promise of job security in exchange for the lower salary and doing your time the promise was you're going to make Six figures. You're going to be an upper middle class American, and you're going to be able to afford the house and the two cars and you know the two and a half kids and the dog. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't really work anymore in the high cost areas. In LA, it it wouldn't work. I, I mean, my wife and I both worked, and we were both pretty highly paid professionals, and we still struggled to mm-hmm. buy a house. Like the house we were able to obtain was like a fixer upper, you know, and I'd walk through my house and the floors would creak. And, uh, on that salary, it just, it just like, it just, I, I couldn't reconcile that. And the idea of sticking around for 10, 15 years to make partner also didn't really appeal to me. So that's why I left the big firm. Cause I just couldn't see a, a, a shorter path and I wasn't willing to do my time. I wonder if, you know that is falling apart now if that's that's the problem that traditional firms are having and all the work is now falling to like the managers and the partners who are working more hours than ever that was another thing about the ASCPA town hall that really surprised me is that the the hours for people at the top are more staff are actually started, staff are actually working fewer hours than partners now like why would why would you want to become a partner
1: so it's it's interesting you mentioned that cuz that's i think one of the things we talked about earlier when we talked about the average age of a CPA owner, right? One of the things that was the promise for my parents in the eighties, which is kind of the litmus test that I base all this off of, was okay, you're gonna do the trade-off, you're gonna, you're gonna do the grunt work here for four or five years. But there's a very clear delineated path. And in the 80s, the answer was you're gonna make partner by year seven. Or you're going you're gonna to be attritioned out one way or the other, whether voluntarily or involuntarily. But if you're here for seven years, you're a partner. I am entering year 14 of my accounting career. And so double what it was in the 80s. And I don't think anybody is looking at Joey saying, that guy's going to be a partner anytime soon. Well, and, and seven is actually really short these days. Yeah. I read in CPA trend lines, the average is 10 to 15 years. Right. Right. So it's, 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 the, it's the baseline longer. has doubled in a generation because no. that's one generation, my parents' generation to me. In one generation, that baseline's doubled. And I don't know, I don't know what, you know, could you say it's greed? Maybe, possibly People greed. Living longer, living you know? longer, mm-hmm. working longer. Um, if partners don't leave, new partners can't
0: come in, right? Maybe that's part of it.
1: Yeah, and it's you know I think also too it's it's a there, there's probably a higher proportion because this is you know generation generationally speaking this is your baby boomers who are kind of moving towards the the end of their career and but I, what what I'm not seeing here is that transition mm-hmm. down to that junior level partner you know when, when I used yeah. to do dental consulting and work with dentists our average client would come in in their mid 40s late 30s early 40s somewhere in that line and they would be like well i need to have another associate come in and those associates who were coming in as potential owners in three to four years were 28 29 30 years old so there was already through just how the businesses are structured a a relatively safe and secure career path coming out of school for those associates right away. And the promise was always, look, yeah, a couple years, you're going to work Fridays. You know, I'm the senior doc. I'm not working Fridays. I'm playing golf. You're going to take Friday. Okay, cool. I'm the associate three years from now. You're not going to have to do that because you're going to be an owner. And that is, I think something that's really compelling to a lot of, of younger accountants. I mean, yeah. you know, not everybody has to for have, that. Yeah. Not everybody has to have ambitions. I'm not saying everybody does, but for those of us who do, like one of one of our one of our coworkers says all the time create a career path for people or they will career path themselves <laughs> and if they have to career path themselves guess what it probably doesn't involve you so <laughs> i think this is something where if we're going to solve it it has to be solved by the people in charge the people running the firms have to make individual decisions and say we're not going to do this just like 20 years ago jody and adam decided hey we are going to rebel against the way people traditionally do this. And where I think it's important for folks like us is it's our job to challenge that status quo. Like, I don't want everybody to like, I love working for summit. I love working for Anders. I love working with all of our team. doesn't mean I love everything we do. There's a lot of stuff that we're doing where I'm like, here's the gap between like where we are and where we should be. And that's the same gap between where we are and where I want us to be. Like we're firmly in the middle. We have not gone nearly far enough. In my mind. But the difference
0: is that at a traditional firm, if you're not a partner, you don't get any say. Correct. And it sounds like you feel like you have a say. I think we do. Mm-hmm. I,
1: I, I, Hannah, I don't know about I'd you. i that. Yeah. I feel like they they don't always, you know, I'm not going to sit there and say everything we, we suggest gets implemented, but it's always considered. And I mm-hmm. think that's important. Yep. So if you could make, wave a magic
0: wand and change one thing about the accounting profession, what would it be?
1: I'm gonna waste mine selfishly. I think that and I'll I'll speak specifically for my for my wife who's a tax accountant and is is you know it's October eleventh today. Mm -hmm. Um she is absolutely miserable because it's been a very tough tax season. The amount of stuff, compliance related work that has been pushed down to tax accountants is insane. The amount of complexity in tax returns now is triple what it was when I started. When you factor in Affordable Care Act stuff that thankfully has most of that's been redacted, but also, you know, stuff with PPP loans and stuff with all this stuff where we're like, well, we'll just let the tax accountants figure it out. The amount of stuff that needs to go on a tax return has tripled or doubled or whatever the metric is. It's huge, but they haven't gotten any more time to do the work. So the deadlines stay the same. And the only way most tax accountants that I know are able to compensate for it is just extra hours. So that's one thing I would change is either give tax accountants more time to get the tax returns done or just stop making them do a bunch of stuff that really should be someone else's job. We just couldn't figure out who else to do it besides the accountants. That's what I would change.
2: Yeah, I think for me, if I could wave a magic wand, I would love to see the accounting industry be more conducive for women in mm-hmm. leadership, women who want to be a mom, women who want to accept the role as wife, whatever that looks like for them, but still not have that hinder their path to partner or yep. their path to whatever their career goal is, and I feel like there's still a lot of blockers. Um, in our industry right now that make the end goal for a female um, and the timeline to get there if she chooses to have uh, a family very different than that of a male who decides the exact same thing and so i think that for me would be the one thing that i would wish could change overnight with a magic wand for sure
0: we gotta get I those co- firms I away in that Yeah, (laughs) we got to get those firms away from the billable hour measuring people on inputs Mm -hmm. and and not allowing for the flexible work right like why can't you be on the partner path and be part-time when you're having your kids
2: yes it just
1: it just seems so silly I, i was having this conversation with our team yesterday where we were talking about compensation models and my question was you know if you're going to view an engagement through the lens of an output like you know why are certain positions considered less important to those outputs? Like if we're going to sit here and sell that, it takes a team to do the engagement, then why should, you know, is it, is it fair or equitable to determine that certain people are more or less valuable to that end goal in certain circumstances? Yeah, maybe you can, but more often than not, I would imagine that, you know, if you're wanting to think about it for us anyways, in a lot of roles, the the advisory senior or the senior accountant, is, is probably a little bit more important to the overall success of the engagement than the CFO. The CFO's got the experience and the knowledge, but unless that senior's doing what they need to do, CFO's worthless.
0: I wonder if the, uh, the partner model might get supplanted by a more corporate model. I, right, we've seen BDO move to an employee stock ownership I was say plan. ESOPs are going, we're seeing that in I mean, a lot of places. An ESOP could be the end of the partnership because mm-hmm. everyone's just an employee and you have stock options like a startup. Yeah, And you know, obviously you have founders who have more shares, but they eventually sell those shares. They could sell them to the employees. It could be an employee-owned firm. Maybe that will uh, maybe that'll become more popular.
1: Well, I think that's a great recruiting tool for Gen Z as well. I mean, the thing that I love yeah. about Gen Z, that's the most entrepreneurial generation of Americans we've ever seen. Because for they can be because they have no fear, right? They have no fear. They're always going to have a job. And they Mm -hmm. they don't have the same traditional barriers to entry that we've had. Like when you talk about elder millennials like like us, you know, what are all the barriers to entry? Well, we don't have any money as a generation because we have high student loan costs and graduated college into a recession. And for firm owners, those barriers to entry have secured the value of their firm because, well, there's less competition now for Gen Z in a lot of circumstances, all you needed to become an entrepreneur was a YouTube account and a phone. And that is one of the reasons why, you know, without, obviously there's going to be, you know, this is a gener- a vague generational observation, but more often than not, when I talk to kids who are in high school and college, what they care about most is I want to have an immediate impact right away. And I want to be in control of my own destiny. And it's very difficult to be an employee and feel like you can have both of those things at the same time. So if you wanted to create an environment that was conducive for those individuals to come into your firm, give them an opportunity to have equity right away and put them in control of their own destiny, and you are going to create an environment where they want to thrive. That's what I want. I think that's that's a great cap
0: for this episode. Tie it up in a bow. Um, Before we go, though, where... Should listeners go to learn more about the Young CPA Success Show?
2: Yeah, so you can find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. We're also found on Earmark now. So you can find us on Earmark. You can also um, go look us up on LinkedIn. Joey and I aren't great at using linkedin it's i'm the worst millennial ever on social you've media. done like two uh, posts
0: on
1: linkedin in six years joey you need to i'm so bad <laughs> full disclosure i have i have someone from our marketing department helping me with an overhaul so tbd on that
2: <laughs> he's getting a linkedin makeover yeah, what he's, good, what good, he's good. getting yes Link, but, you know, yeah, with
0: the collapse of x and twitter linkedin mm-hmm. has become a fun place so, I like
2: LinkedIn. Like I'm learning yeah. to like it. Like it has become something that I do seek out and look, look at to scroll at the end of the day. And so yeah, I, I totally if agree. If you like to definitely.
0: troll boomers, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's just, <laughs> it's um, elder boomers don't really understand sarcasm. So it's
1: it's a real blast there. Well, and it's, you know, we, we really do, you know, in a shameless plug, we really do want to hear from the audience. Like I have visions of future episodes where we're just responding to questions from from listeners and helping with advice or, or playing out scenarios. So like we really do want to hear from people so that we can interact with you. Like that's the best part of our job yes. as people. So we want to mm-hmm. we want to expand it.
0: So again, search for Young CPA Success Show on your podcast player and uh, download the Earmark app. And you'll be able to earn CPE credit for listening to those episodes and then taking Mm -hmm. the quiz on Earmark. And actually, this episode right here is going to be CPE eligible as well. So look for it when it drops on the Earmark app. Hannah, Joey, it has been so great talking to you. I hope to run into you again virtually and someday in person.
2: Thank you, Blake. Blake. Thanks, Blake.